0: All right, here we go. Day 24, more or less shut in the apartment. And I'm going to keep cranking out these COVID podcasts, documenting the shutdown, how it happened, what it means, what happens next. So you may have heard the interview I did with John Schaefer on the Storm Skiing podcast back in December. It was one of the more popular episodes, which was surprising to me because his two mountains, Berkshire East and Catamount, aren't well known even as close as New York City, where I'm based. But skiers ate that one up. And yes, that's because the locals love those mountains, but it's also a testament to the owner. John is a different kind of guy. He thinks different, and he approaches problems in a different way. When he took over Berkshire East from his dad, he completely transformed the place. Then he did the same when the family bought Catamount. He's not someone who's bound to old models or has to worry about making a boss happy. That's never been more obvious since, since the COVID-19 crisis broke out. John was the first operator in North America to shut down explicitly to help stop the spread of COVID-19 at his ski areas. He did that on Thursday, March 12th. And at the time, that was considered a really audacious move. But he was way out ahead of everyone, and as we all know, the whole industry followed not long after. Then, a couple weeks later, he founded this Goggles for Docs initiative. If you haven't heard about this yet, it's awesome. He's rallying skiers all across the country to dust off the goggles hanging out in their boot bags and send them to frontline medical workers who don't have eye protection as they fight this pandemic. In a week, this thing has gone from a single email sent from a New York City doctor to a national effort that shipped more than 13,000 pairs of goggles as a Saturday night. All this while John's still trying to figure out what to do with the mountains and his employees and, of course, run his own life. I connected with John on Sunday, April 4th one week after he'd launched Goggles for Docs with the help of some very committed folks. And he took me through the story both of deciding to shut his mountains down and of ramping up that huge donation effort afterward. Well, let's hear it. John Schaefer is the owner and general manager of Berkshire East and Catamount. He's also the founder of Goggles for Docs, which is helping get eye protection to frontline healthcare workers during the COVID-19 pandemic. John, thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you, Stuart. How you been?
0: I'm I'm doing well. Uh, we're My family and I are holed up in New York City. Uh, we're just trying to stay off the streets and stay inside, and we're going on week four now of isolation. So hanging in there. Uh, the stories out of the hospitals are not good, but we are all safe. How about you guys? How are you doing up there in Massachusetts?
1: Doing all right. Um, quite frankly, I live in an extremely rural area, and on my street, in my neck of the woods, the only difference is the... Uh, You know, the kids are out of school, Uh, but professionally, you know, managing the skiers through the quarantine and shutdown process was challenging. Uh, And now Goggles for Docs is really uh, taking on a life of its own.
0: I do want to talk about Goggles for Docs, but I'd like to go back to the shutdown first, if only because you took such a national leadership role there. So on Thursday, March 12th, you announced that Berkshire East would close for the season at 4 p.m. that day and Catamount would not reopen for the weekend or for the rest of the season. In hindsight, this seems like the obvious thing to do, but this shocked a lot of people when you announced it, and you were able to move really fast because of the size of your company. Take us into your process of making this decision.
1: Yeah, so going back a few days before that, my wife's a healthcare worker. I have a lot of friends, are doctors, residents, you know, people that ski at the ski area, and personal friends, and we'd all sort of been talking about this thing, uh, COVID, coronavirus, and- everybody was and right at that time maybe the Tuesday before that or the Wednesday the NBA had shut down and start to learn more about you know understanding where we were going to get to in a few weeks and understanding the viral nature of the spread or the exponential growth of it and coupled with you know the horror stories coming out of Italy which were blowing up at the time I just looked at our business and it's like, how can we be part of something that pulls people together from multiple states and communities, put them all in one spot, and act like we're part of being part of the solution? Like it became very clear cut that we had to close and be a business leader. And it was pretty emotional. It was very challenging. We were out there for maybe a couple of days. I think JP and Burke were the first big ones to shut behind us. But still, there was a lot of negativity around the choice. You know, skiing is freedom. Skiing's an awesome experience. But in this instance, uh, you know, it's one of those things we need to sacrifice to to have a a good solution for the rest of our uh, country, you know. So we just made that move, wrote a pretty emphatic letter, which was by design, uh, because, again, we, we were the first ones to jump into that pool of shutting down. And we felt, you know, I felt that we needed to make a statement, and I think we did.
0: So in that announcement, you related an anecdote of being caught in an avalanche several years ago skiing out west. Can you talk a little bit more about that experience and how that influenced your decision here? Yeah,
1: I mean, it's all fun and games until you're tumbling down a mountain, uh, and you can't see anything, and it stops like cement, and you get buried up, and You know, in those moments, everybody's like, yeah, everything slows down. And believe me, it slows down. And I still remember the color, the smell, the senses, and just this one thought, which was this isn't worth it. No, no, nothing here is worth um, what I'm giving up right now, i.e. the rest of my life.
0: And how did you relate that to your decision to close the mountains?
1: Um, As operating a business? that brought a community of skiers together from, a, you know, basically a tri-state region, you know, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts from disparate com- communities and putting them all in a closed environment or, or even if we could manage aspects of them, there's so much you can't manage. So uh skier, a COVID positive, doesn't know it, goes to the gas station, fills up the gas tank, leaves the virus on the gas pump. Um, next person through gets sick if skier a isn't going skiing then he was never at that gas pump so it's the whole little chain of interactions that make a difference here uh on the spread rates and you know that that we'll never know what might have happened in terms of saving a life but but that's what i was referencing when i made that statement
0: in the letter you also talked about your father roy schaefer uh, who stabilized berkshire east in the late 70s when he moved there from michigan to take over the mountain and he handed all over the reins to you and your brother several years ago, but from my understanding he's still involved in running that mountain. And you said if I couldn't ask my father to come up here, I can't ask my guests. Can you talk a little bit more about that decision? So, yeah,
1: my dad, you know, obviously we we love our parents or hopefully hopefully love our parents. You know, love the opportunities they've given us. I certainly do on my end. It's my father, it's it's Jan, you know, who's our checkout lady It has been for years. It's John at ticketing. It's my ski school volunteers and, and well, not uh, ski patrol volunteers. You know, we, there's a, there's a group of citizens that love being at our mountain that unfortunately are disproportionately impacted by this virus. So my dad was the example, but I care for everybody in our, in our little communities. And it's not just Berkshire East, it's Catamount too, you know, and I can list the names and faces of all those people. So you you know, this is, it was an act of of honoring them in their role in our business um, by taking the, you know, making the move to shut down. So it was pretty clear when it came down to it. Uh, However, we did take heat, uh, which was fine.
0: Right. But both of those mountains have very strong communities at the center of them. How did your communities react when you announced this? And it's you know, it's weird. You have to understand it in the context of three weeks ago, right? Because now this is obvious. The, the whole industry shut down. But when it happened, you were the first one to do it in the country. So, so that was making a huge statement. It was, it was a risk, really. When you when you think about having to make it in the moment, how did your communities react?
1: Ninety ten was 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 all over it and loved it. Uh, there's a group of folks, and I think that's across the board in the industry who didn't like it. Uh, they view, you know, their time in a lift is, you know, can be managed to be a solo experience. Skiing is a, a solo freedom. You know, you're going down the hill. Yes, you share it with others, but largely it's the feeling and experience you, as you get as an individual. Um, different people have different views. You have young families, and they they enjoy it that way. And people share it with others, but at the root of it is this, you know, the self-guided trip down a mountain. So it, it really was taking away this, experience and freedom from our guests and I, I totally get it you know and our guests are members are you know they're they're part of who we are but this is an unusual situation we're all in so um, again it was pretty clear-cut most people got it you know there were some naysayers at the time but you know the nba's sitting there with their season shot it's like well you know if the nba closes why why shouldn't berkshire east close
0: and the folks who were angry at first did they come around? I think they have, yeah. And then and it's been whack a mole from there, right? You got the
1: hikers, the skinners, the the uh you know, the people still pushing the limits of, of quote unquote their skiing freedoms. But I think I
0: think everybody gets it today. Have you shut all that down at this point, all the uphill, the hiking, all that stuff?
1: Yeah, we we live in a s we live in small rural communities and without ski patrol there. Um one, if we had a COVID positive person uh with an EMT, tip and the EMT were to be quarantined or pulled out of service, then that's a problem. Uh two, uh we don't have the staff on site to manage, you know, complex on hill rescues. So I, I heard of a mid major mid mountain uh Vermont resort that had a four hour rescue where the person was distressed for a long time on the hill from a skinning incident. You know, I think it still occurs, you know, controls and illusion with a lot of this stuff, but I think people are getting the messaging.
0: So you mentioned the industry reaction. I know you literally came up in this industry, grew up on Berkshire East. I have to imagine you're fairly well connected. Uh, What was the reaction like, like the immediate reaction when you announced you're closing these mountains? Did your phone start blowing up like, John, what the hell are you doing? Uh, you're getting ahead of us, or, or or you're kind of blowing our cover here. Like, what was the reaction from your peers around the industry? Crickets. Really? A few people really got it, but I think I think a
1: lot of people didn't. I, I'm not gonna. to i honestly, I won't name names, but I notified people, and uh, I still haven't heard back.
0: Mm. So, it, one of the advantages you had as an independent family-owned place you can make this decision very quickly, right? You're not Vail where you have investors and a board of directors and and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of guests who've come from all over the world to visit the mountains. All of that complicates things. Is this where you have an advantage as a small family owned business? You can just snap your finger and say, okay, guys, we're done. We can't do it anymore. This doesn't make sense for this season.
1: Yeah. I didn't even notify my staff. I, I, I insulated myself. I made the decision. There was no walking back from that decision. At the time it was definitely the nuclear option. Um, or at least it felt like it internally, but it was, it was the only option, you know, how it, the calculus was this, was like, look, if if everybody intervenes and this is nothing in three weeks, then we're still on the right side of history. You know, great. We mm-hmm. did the right thing. And if it goes the other way and it's terrible, then, you know, everybody's going to catch up with us within a week anyway, which is largely what happened. So it, it just seemed obvious at the time what needed to happen and, you know, you got to pull it, pull up your pants and make a decision sometimes. And that's what we did.
0: Did you talk to your brother or your dad or anyone? Or you just, just said, this is my decision to make and I have to do it. I this made the decision, decision to make at like I...
1: 1030 at night. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed up all night and I wrote the letter that everybody saw, told people that what we were doing and, um, they, uh, They went along with it. They, my brother got it, you know, to his credit. He's like, look, I've been in New York, my bank's working from home and the streetcar, you know, the, the subways are all empty. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no question his front.
0: Right. There is a little bit of fallout here as a small business. Obviously you're foregoing revenue uh, and also your employees are suddenly out of work. Uh, How did they react to this decision and, and how are they doing now?
1: We're doing the best I can, you know, um, We are trying to put people back to work, quite frankly. Um, The first 10 days after this was, I wouldn't say it was crisis mode, but I figured out every grant and every potential plan of it being made available to us from the state government or the uh, federal government. And I think within 72 hours we had emergency – can you hold on one sec? I need to – and the audience yep. i left my tea running in the basement and it's uh now squealing and nobody's in the house hold on a sec yep yeah so we want we're going to put people back to work and my attitude here is is we led the industry into closing we're going to lead it right back out to putting people to work uh the biggest challenge that happens at times like this in an economic crisis is liquidity and my pl- employees need their paychecks uh The local businesses need purchases made through them, and, you know, the biggest job we can do as a business is keep them all moving. So, you know, we are exploring as many projects as possible. You know, we did do some short-term layoffs. We went on, you know, we used the tools available to us because literally our income went to zero, and with our Mm -hmm. summer businesses, you know, spring is usually a pretty good time. So... You know, to go from 100 to zero is a challenge, but we manage that. And now, you know, I spent, you know, the first 10 days, two weeks figuring out how to dig back out of that hole. So one of the benefits of moving quickly and shutting down was I I put myself in the, the, the mindset that we had to pick ourselves back up by the bootstraps and get moving. There's a lot of bad things that happen in times like these, but there's also a lot of good things. So interest rates went to zero um, there's gonna be job programs there's gonna be there's gonna be things to look for to take advantage of as a community for regional communities and again work programs and grants, but also for businesses so I hate to sound selfish uh in terms of growing our business at a time like this, but part of it's putting people to work and uh making sure that people's rents get paid and their car bills get paid and my role in our two mountains is to do exactly that,
0: well you're really not giving yourself a lot of time to to sit around and uh and take it easy, uh which is good for the rest of us so so let's talk about goggles for docs. What is it, and how did it get started
1: so goggles for docs started seven days ago, it's a little under seven days ago. I think we had the website up by like two p m It's now what eleven twelve o'clock in the morning so it's amazing how quickly it's grown so Following up on my last statement, which was trying to lead the business back out, I spent the first couple of weeks looking at um, used and inventory equipment across the country. And my wife works in the hospital, and spent a lot of time on government auction websites. And so I kept seeing like, hey, there's you know mass shortages and ventilator short- shortages. So. On a lot of those government websites, I was like, look, there's ventilators for sale in the medical department or there's masks for sale in the medical department. So I was like, how come I can find masks and nobody else? So my mind was already starting, I think, starting to think along those lines. Um, I created an Alibaba account and started negotiating with Chinese manufacturers for N95 masks. I found a manufacturing line. What I'm telling you, we looked at everything to try to figure out how to put our people back to work I was working on sourcing raw materials and anything we could do to rejigger our business. Uh, we're still considering turning our ski lodges into greenhouses to produce food locally. And we're working on converting our lands um, into regional gardens, just anticipating that food's going to be weird this summer. So when I got the email a little over a week ago from through Karen, uh, a ski coach at Catamount, basically forwarded emails through a friend that their nephew, uh, who's running an ER in New York City, needed ski goggles uh, because they didn't have protective eyewear. I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. You know, this can be great. And uh, I sort of intervened because that email was being virally spread, at least through the Catamount Ski Racing and Berkshire Ski Racing Worlds because they're pretty connected. Mm -hmm. And I found that doctor and... Throughout the day, we had a bit of an email conversation and then a phone conversation. He's like, look, this is – you're going to save lives here because I have healthcare workers, you know, hundreds of them that I care for deeply, and it's not just doctors, but it's nurses, techs, frontline staff, cleaning staff who are wandering around the hospital and aerosols viruses in people's breasts and, you know, moisture coming out of your body gets expelled and can go through the eyes and infect these people. And he's like, I, eventually industry is going to catch up, but right now we have a real need. So that afternoon we built the first open source Google Sheet spreadsheet and shared it with my friends. And this was a week ago Saturday and sent an email out to, I don't know, 70 industry contacts. And the next morning my inbox had totally blown up. So whether it was voicemails emails messenger text messages hundreds of people wanted to get involved and i was staring at it and i was like what the heck you know this is crazy and so i went grocery shopping for my parents because they need it and they can't go out all the times just sort of stewing on what needed to get done here because it felt a little overwhelming and one of those emails was from trevor christ at intopia and like greg blanchard his vp of marketing and they said look we're, we're here to help we'll do whatever you need And I went to a friend's house and had some some coffee with them, you know, 20 feet apart in the driveway. And I think I was just confident enough and just confident enough to call Greg as I pulled out. I was like, Greg, you offered to help and we need a website. And he's like, what do you want to call it? And we settled on Goggles for Docs. And on that drive home to Charlemont, we hashed out and he built essentially – 70% 70% of the template that's online today. There's been a lot of updates. That afternoon, I called a uh, former ski racing friend from Berkshire East uh, in the Bay Area, whose brother um, is a Google developer, and we talked through the best platform to use to have the inventory control, which is essentially, if anybody goes on there, you know, a hospital sends in a statement of need, we vet it, it goes online, and then in a open source, crowdsource fashion, any individual can go to any listed hospital, see their need, get their address, and just send direct to the hospital. So that function was built that, that afternoon. I roughed in the spreadsheets. I think at the time we had maybe twelve hospitals and twelve hundred goggles, you know, basically uh as our need and that seemed like a big number. Again, you know, I doubled I doubled the list of my um the email blast they sent out last Sunday night, and again, RIP inbox Monday morning, and this thing was blowing up. Um, by noon that day, Michaela Schifrin had, I think, posted on Snapchat, and that was going viral. And this website that literally didn't exist 12 hours before was seeing, like, a real-time audience of three or 400 people pers- you know, at any given moment, and it just was exploding. And so Greg, Trevor, and I were like, "Holy cow! You know, we gotta, we gotta refine this thing." People wanted to volunteer. Hundreds of volunteer requests. The, the drop-off organization be, started happening, just completely organically. And we raced to get ahead of this. And people just got battlefield promotions. We have a, uh, we we created a position of uh, corporate relationships uh, head of tech volunteer organization. Um, People to work for those people, state heads, regional coordinators, local drop-off points. All this was built in the first 48 hours, and it was a 5 a.m. till midnight type job for a handful of us. Um, so we we built an organization literally on the fly, and on top of it, like this steady roll of drumbeat, the hospitals just kept signing up. Um, by Monday afternoon, 1,600 goggles had shipped. But but our need was growing to about 3,000. By Tuesday, I think we knocked out 4,500 goggles, um, but the need was closer to 6,000. And each day down the line, these things started globbing on. So we tested out the live AFRI ski party. Two functions, one to raise awareness, and secondly, the ski world's pulling together. We all missed out on our AFRI ski, you know, in March and April. So it's a little moment to pull people together. Uh, we made conscientious decisions to not tie directly to any one brand because this is an all-brand, all-industry, you know, all-platform problem, i.e. the coronavirus. And it couldn't just be a Berkshire East problem. It couldn't just be a Vail Resorts problem. This needs to be the ski world. I don't know what our total is now, but it's certainly over 12,500 goggles shipped because that's where we were wow. last night. Um, and we... Uh, we have a, team, a vetting team of six volunteers who who I think knocked out about 80 new
0: hospitals last night. And how many hospitals are you at total?
1: I think we've uh, taken care of about 80. And uh, pardon me if I'm off by 10 or 15 in either direction.
0: Where are the hospitals?
1: Across the country. This thing is, it started in New York. I know we shipped over 4,000 goggles to New York City. You can see some of those on the cover of the New York Times and the CNN website, this, you know, on Sunday, and they're being deployed as we speak. New Orleans, Florida, Massachusetts, Vermont were all early adopters. Connecticut came on. Oregon was the first Western state. You know, the highs and lows are, are incredible. You know, at some point on Wednesday or Thursday, we got a uh, – I got a direct email from a uh, chief medical officer of 16 urgent care clinics in L.A., in Port sections of LA, and you know, quite frankly, they just simply his budget so low. Not only is there protective uh, PPE issue with in access, they just financially they're strapped. And he needed 900 goggles, and it was like, oh man, how are we going to do this? And uh, within six hours, the Ski World rallied and shipped 900 ga- goggles to his front front line clinics, like I said, in the poor poor parts of LA, and it's just it's incredible. incredible. Yeah, I mean, the intensity with which the ski world is, is attacking this, and the intensity with which they are creating, you know, volunteer relationships, and the intensity with which people are working at it is just phenomenal. So, you know, I'm I'm here talking to you, but there's there's hundreds of people working behind me and standing alongside me, and we all have one goal, which is, you know. Literally, just go in your gear bag, grab the four goggles that you accumulated over a decade, sterilize them per the recommendations on the website, and drop ship them to your hospital of choice. And right there serves a huge need.
0: So a lot of these donations have come from skiers. To what extent have you seen the goggle industry and ski shops, all these folks you mentioned, your industry network, to what extent have they stepped up to send out and supplement those? Uh,
1: Huge. The industry... You know, this week we lived on the industry. I'll be very direct. You know, at least half the goggles shipped came from goggle companies. Next week, you know, the need's going to double, quite frankly. We'll need 30,000 goggles by the end of the week or maybe within days. Uh, and that's going to have to come from individuals. What's interesting is there's, you know, anywhere between 8 to 10 million active skiers in the United States. And I guarantee you that a lot of those people have spare goggles. This is a, it's a weird thing that we created and I don't, you know, credits for a later date, but this is one personal protective gear that's owned by literally millions of American skiers that can be deployed on the front lines today, uh, or within say three days anywhere in the country. And it's probably the only such piece of inventory. That the medical system can access in mass, that's not being manufactured.
0: I mean, the numbers are incredible. What did you expect, John, when you started this? Did you ever think it would be anything near the scale of what we're seeing? No, not even close. You know, yesterday
1: morning, I'm up at I'm up at like four in the morning or five in the morning, chatting on email with Joanna from Sydney, Australia, who's building duplicate sites for South Africa, Canada, Australia. We've had inquiries from Europe. Uh, a Chilean group got motivated from El Colorado, and is already is already doing this. And the, just this morning, I had a video message from a doctor in Granada. So, throwing everything aside, I mean, the fact that we've shipped let's well, just probably because it grows by the, the minute, you know, close to 13,000 goggles as of now, and that even that's an accomplishment. But the fact that there's now global interest and global reach is crazy.
0: It's really incredible, and, and we're talking Sunday morning for a reference point, and 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 you can see how fast the numbers have grown from that. Uh, it's really. Do you think the fact, John, that this is crowdsourced and that you didn't centralize control, that that's helped it grow this fast? I do, and I think that one
1: of the most distressing things for people about this entire experience is that they you're told to go home, be alone, um, communicate on the phone, you know, and just. You sit here. You sit in your house, and it is just this incessant slog of negativity. And high, you know, really smart people, really motivated people, if they're not specifically a healthcare worker or somewhere in the sciences supporting it, i.e., building a new ventilator, you just have to sit at home. And it's like, man, how is it that we need fifty thousand ventilators and there's no masks or eyewear in the United States? This is crazy. It's incredibly frustrating, and people are losing their jobs. There's a high amount of angst, and then here, there's just this one thing that's an open-source platform where you can just log online, check out the hospital in need, and make a difference, and the testimonials we're getting from the healthcare industry is just crazy. You know, people are so appreciative, Um, the stories from the senders, people talking about you know, writing really nice notes and shedding tears as they box up their goggles, you know, and ship them to a frontline, uh, frontline hospital in New York City, for example. Um, and on the other side, the images and the testimonials of the goggles. You know, on Wednesday night or Tuesday or Wednesday night, I was sitting there and I was like, man, this is, you know, it's this, you, you start to, we start to feel the trajectory and the inertia it's like, holy cow, I run ski areas, you know, what is going on here? I'm not, you know, what is it? It's cool, and we're honored to have this role, but, you know, laying in bed at, like, 1130 at night, like, this is scary, you know, and the the emails keep coming in, and I got a, um, like, right at that moment, I was like, oh, man, should we stop this? Mm-hmm. I got a um, message from a Dr. Marsha, What's their her last name, out of New Orleans, and was basically an image of her and her son. And she was writing me just saying, like, this is the darkest, you know, dark times and really scary for everybody. And I'm paraphrasing, but that out of the blue came this box of 200 goggles. And uh, she and her son were in sort of like superhero position and just sort of making a joke of it. But she's like, this is awesome, you know, and just thank you. I can't thank you enough. And, you know, my whole team is just going to be so appreciative of this. And at that moment, I was like, all right, it's game on, and we have to attack this with everything we've got.
0: It's it's really incredible that you're doing this, John, and that so many people are involved all across the country. But ideally, the healthcare system, as, as you've referenced here, would have been better prepared with personal protective equipment for their frontline workers. You mentioned your wife works in the hospital. Um, does this concern you that we weren't better prepared for this? Somebody's
1: going to write a book about that in two years, and I'll read it, but it's not for today. And uh, you know, I go back to there's good things that happen and there's bad things that happen. And you know, there's be a lot of assessment and a lot of blame. You know, I, I'm not, I'm my head's not going there. It's not, you know. Yes, am I scared for my friends and my in my my family members as we all are? Yes, but you just got to lean into problems. And uh, I that's that's my job right now.
0: So how can people get involved with goggles for docs, John?
1: Uh, goggles for uh, very simple. So there's, uh, there's multiple ways to be involved. The first is, uh, that there's two sides of the equation. We are just simply the touch point. If you have goggles and I'm pretty certain that most people on this podcast have a pair of goggles or two kicking around absolutely, or random ones that their kids wore a few years ago and now they've moved on. Go online. There's directions on how to bag them, how to treat them before they be shipped Pick a hospital in your region so you save on shipping costs or find the, the region that you think is of the greatest need. Click on the state. On the website, you'll see a list of states with a counter of stated need. So you click on and you'll see a spreadsheet. And it's, you know, this is definitely the brute force method of building a website, but you have to click through the spreadsheets on the bottom and you can see the names of the hospitals and choose one to donate. Um, and go into UPS or FedEx.com and print a shipping label right at home put them in a box, get them out the door. If you're a hospital, there's the opposite side. So there's an incoming – there's a there's a hospital request form that can be filled out. Uh, we vet everybody. Part of the system that we built was to vet the incoming inquiries because we wanted to honor the donations. Uh, People's donations are money, and we want to treat it as such. So when we get an incoming request, it's air gaps from the website – we call the call the individual email the individual check um you know professional credentials through LinkedIn or Google search of the hospital website do a full on verification and then physically move that information to a master spreadsheet which goes to the website so making sure that the highest the highest number of you know in, incoming inventory goes to the hospital's in need there are live après ski events so the next one will be Monday night, 7 p.m. for the Chad Hollister Band. We have Recycled uh, Percussion Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern and DJ Logic Friday night. It's a place to pull together, to chat on the uh, sidebar function of Facebook Live uh, with other people, pull together, you know, sit and watch with your family and just bring a little uh, positivity into your life versus this incessant beat out of the major news networks. You can... Uh, be an active drop-off location. So a ski shop can say, "I'm putting the recycling bin out front, printing off our logo, saying it's the goggles for drops, goggles for docs uh, drop-off site." And, uh, part of me encourage their clientele um, by share, socially sharing. Folks who are just listening. Go onto our Facebook page, Instagram, share the information that's going out. Uh, spread the word, shake the trees, find all the available goggles that are needed. Because I can tell you. It's, you know, the incoming requests are – we had 12 come in in less than an hour the other day, and the news of this is only spreading. We have been um, recommended by the American College of Surgeons on their PPE newsletter as a source for hospitals. The New York um, Public Authority put out a uh, sort of a policy on, on uh, hospitals sourcing their own PPE through the community. So the word's being spread at the institution level. The word really, really, really needs to ski, spread at the skier level because, honestly, like I said, the, we lived off the um, the industry for this week, but we're going to have to really shake the trees for the public out of the coming weeks. So those are the best ways to help.
0: All right, John. Well, this is a bright light in a dark time. Thank you very much for your efforts. Best of luck building it out. I'm glad I can help you spread the word. And uh, and I will talk to you after this all blows over. Cool, sir. Thank you. That's John Schaefer, owner GM of Berkshire East and Catamount, founder of Goggles for Docs. How many pairs of goggles do you have in your closet? How many do you need? Are you tired of not being able to do anything about this? It's time to ship those things where they can do some good right now. You can see what I was talking about in the intro, though. There's no one else quite like John in the industry today. Just to underscore the point here, I was up at Catamount in February, and I happened to be there the same day as IndyPass founder Doug Fish. He was on a multi-week tour of the Northeast, and he had just met John the day before. The first impression was strong. Doug told me, that guy is going to be a leader in the industry for a very long time, and that was well before any of this went down. If you go back and listen to that first interview John did on the Storm Skiing podcast, he says kind of offhand that he's not even 40 yet. So his influence is likely to just keep growing for a long time yet. So thank you very much for that, John. And Thank you all very much for listening. There will be more COVID-19 podcasts. To hear those as soon as they're live, subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com for free. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I'll talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.